This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. On November 11th, 1620, In a bay off the north coast of the New World, called America, a small ship carrying 102 people was resting at anchor. The reason that they were still on the ship was they'd been arguing with each other over a critical issue. Half of them were from a church that came together from England to make a life for themselves. They called themselves saints. We call them the pilgrims. The rest of them were men who came from the New World to make their fortune. Craftsmen, farmers. And they called... the, the. They didn't call themselves anything, but the pilgrims called them the strangers because they weren't part of them. Everyone at this time, however, would have called themselves a Christian. But the differences between the Christians, the pilgrims, and the strangers were stark. The strangers still considered themselves as belonging to the Church of England, which was the state church. And it was a very formal kind of worship with bishops and liturgies and all kinds of robes and incense and lots of things like that. And these folks, they didn't bring any of their religious leaders with them. But the pilgrims were what we would, they'd be probably called fundamentalists today. Um, Their whole lives were centered on their faith. And they were the subjects of ridicule by the nominal Christians surrounding them in England of that time. So what is a pilgrim, and how are they different from the Puritans? Well, the pilgrims were just this special group. It was only about half of that hundred that were part of that church that came over together. But they were a part of a larger group known as Puritans in England. And they were people who wanted to purify the church. They wanted to, to live according to the scripture and not have so many of the trappings of what came over from Catholicism. Um, and then within, among the Puritans, there were another division. There were those who wanted to stay in the church and purify it. And then there were those who just had given up and they wanted to be separate from the church. So they were called separatists. And that's what this little group was. They were a little group 
of Puritan separatists. Now, it would be a year later that these people would all celebrate that first Thanksgiving with their Native American neighbors. But in that year, they lost half of their number to starvation and disease. And if God had not providentially intervened, it's likely they would have all perished. And we wouldn't even be celebrating Thanksgiving together this week. But God prepared a helper for the pilgrims who would literally save their lives and turn their fortunes around. And his name was Squanto. You heard of Squanto the Indian? Um, That spring, the settlers saw an Indian on the beach. And they raised the alarm because there were tensions between the settlers and the Indians. Indian coming! Indian coming! But to their surprise... The guy hails them with a hello in English. And then he said, have you got any beer? (laughs) Well, they had drunk all their beer on the voyage over, but they did have some brandy to offer him. Now, this was not Squanto. It was an Indian named Samoset, and he was from a local tribe, Massasoit's tribe, And he had learned English and his taste for beer from English fishermen that he had met down the coast. So he told them, though, that they had settled right on the site of a former Indian village. But all the people in that village had died from disease. And then he said there was a guy they should meet. He was from that tribe He wasn't there when everybody else died. He came back later, and now he was living with Massasoit's tribe. And his name was Squanto. And Squanto had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and taken into slavery, went to England when he was a teenager. He learned English, and then he bought himself out of slavery. And he came back with a guy named John Smith. You know who John Smith was? Pocahontas and all that. So John Smith takes him back to his village and then he gets captured a second time. And he was purchased by some Spanish friars, some like monk kind of guys, and they taught him about Jesus. And he became a Christian. And then he earned his way out of slavery again and he traveled back to the village and that's when he found out that everybody was dead. So... That's why he was living there with Massasoit's tribe when the pilgrims arrived. So he came to the pilgrims and he turned their fortunes around. This is how uh, their governor, William Bradford, accounted for what happened. He said, but Squanto continued with them and was their interpreter and was a special instrument sent of God for their good, beyond their expectation. He directed them how to set their corn, where to take fish, and to produce other commodities, and was also their pilot to bring them to unknown places for their profit, and never left them till he died. He was a native of that place. So while on an expedition with Bradford, um, Squanto died uh, less than a year after they met him. But God used him in great ways in that short period of time. And as he lay dying, he begged the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Christian heaven. 
He was truly an instrument prepared by God to preserve that little band of settlers. But I'm getting ahead of my story. Back on the ship, before they could disembark and start their new community, they needed to resolve a problem. How were these very different groups of people going to govern themselves? The controversy arose when the ship failed to land in the place that they were supposed to go to. They were supposed to go to some land in Virginia, which was governed by a charter from the king, but instead they ended up farther north in Massachusetts. And according to Governor William Bradford, who later wrote a very extensive, detailed account of the whole experience, he said several strangers... (coughs) made discontented and mutinous speeches. They apparently argued that since the land, they landed outside of the jurisdiction of the Virginia Company, that its rules and regulations no longer applied. And the troublemakers threatened to do as they please. They, uh, they said, for none had power to command them. They were going to do what they want. 3,000 miles from home, a real crisis is now facing these colonists even before they get off the boat. But they finally do come to an agreement. And what they came up with was a model, not only for themselves, but for all those who would follow them into this new land. And that agreement was a short and simple plan for a democratic government. It came to be known as the Mayflower Compact. And here's the gist of that compact in modern language. In the name of God, amen, we voyage for the glory of God, the advancement of the Christian faith, and the honor of our king and country. We will start the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. We agree and combine into a civil government for the better organization and perseverance of the colony. We agree to have fair laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and people in office for the better of the colony. For this, we promise to submit and obey. They could agree on three important things. Their purpose in joining together was first to serve God, even though they worship differently, and then to honor the king and their country, and finally to thrive as a community. The the original document says it was to do whatever, quote, was most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony. Most meet and convenient. I I like Old English. This was a democratic solution. All of them agreed to elect officials and to vote on the necessary laws. And they weren't breaking away from England. They just wanted local self-government. They all wanted freedom to live according to their consciences. Why freedom? Because God is the author of freedom. And we're created in his image. And the desire for freedom lives in every human heart. But where did these pilgrims get this idea, this democratic idea, when the whole world was ruled by kings at the time? was because they were children of the Reformation. About a hundred years earlier, 
in Germany, Martin Luther led a massive exodus from the Catholic Church that had been enslaving men's souls with legalism for centuries. Luther wrote that Catholic teachings of Christ had become twisted into, quote, unbearable bondage of human works and laws. But he preached a gospel of freedom. Salvation, he taught, was a gift from God available to everyone through faith in Jesus and his sacrificial death. Many people awoke to that freedom that was available in Christ through faith alone, apart from works. It swept Europe. Each man was accountable to God alone for his faith, not to the church, not to the government. And later, when the Church of England tried to take away that freedom from the Puritans and dictate how they should worship God, they refused to give up that freedom. And when they were persecuted and jailed for their faith, some of them fled to the New World. And these ideas laid the foundation for modern democracy and human rights. These principles of freedom and equality under the law, under the law of God, have guided this nation since its beginning. So what began as a spiritual freedom led to political freedom everywhere the Reformation went. And nowhere were people freer than in the English colonies that eventually became the United States of America. So freedom comes from God. It begins with freedom from the power of sin. It is the power of the gospel to save men's souls. Look at what the prophet Isaiah had to say 700 years before the coming of Christ. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now Jesus read this verse at the beginning of his ministry in his home synagogue. And after he read that verse, he said that it was being fulfilled in their ears that day. What was he saying? He was saying that he was that one. He was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ who came to bring good news. He was the one who proclaims freedom for the captives. He was the one who releases prisoners. And he is the bringer of freedom alone. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8:36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a freedom from the sin that came into the world through our first parents in the garden. And since then, sin has enslaved every human heart. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But for those who admit their sin before a holy God and turn away from their sin, it says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. That's true freedom. 
It's the freedom of the children of God that no government or no religious system can take away. But it is also a freedom that we can give up for the sake of others. This is what he means when he says that we are now the slaves of God. Martin Luther said that a Christian is a totally free person, Lord of all, subject to none. But he also said that the Christian is a totally submissive person, servant of all, subject to all. How can both of those things be true? He got this from the Apostle Paul. Look at Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom isn't for ourselves. It's for others. That was the spirit of the Mayflower Compact. It was for the glory of God, but for the betterment of the colony as a whole. Not for individuals just to do whatever they wanted, regardless of what God says or how it affects their neighbors. They subordinated themselves for the good of their neighbors. And that was the spirit of that first Thanksgiving. When people of differing beliefs and backgrounds came together to celebrate and give thanks to their creator. America hasn't always lived up to that ideal. There's, there's been plenty of injustice and oppression. It, it took us 200 years and a civil war to end slavery. But we did end it. And we did it because we never forgot those founding principles. There were always voices calling us back to them. So my prayer is, as we celebrate this Thanksgiving holiday, that we would not only thank God for the blessings of the freedom and the prosperity in our lives, but that we would use that freedom to demonstrate the love of God to our neighbors so that they too may truly give thanks to him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your goodness is abounding, Lord. And we, we ask that you would just reveal yourself more and more to us that we might find new ways to give you thanks uh, for what you've done for us and what you're doing and what you're going to do. So, Lord, we pray that uh, during this time of thanksgiving that we might shine your light uh, to those around us who might not know you yet, or that we might be salt and light in this world, or that we might love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So we give you praise and honor and glory in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, 
Just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.